0: Psalm 19 it says, "For the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words; their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world." In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to grasp the truths of this wonderful psalm we might behold more of you and more of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Tonight, I want to
0: draw your attention to verse 7 of Psalm 19. The first part of this verse reads, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Let's take a close look at this statement, and let's let's just begin to behold the perfections of the Lord and his law. This is the law of Yahweh. It is, it is absolutely vital that we grasp what this text is teaching us uh, about the Lord and about ourselves. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. David wrote this psalm, and he made it so that the three verses, 7, 8, and 9, are each written with ten words in the Hebrew language. You see that as he writes about the perfection of the law of the Lord, he's drawing the attention of the careful reader to the perfect summary of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, which are known by the Jews as the Ten Words. Now what does the law of the Lord teach us about Himself when our Lord Jesus Christ was asked what is the greatest commandment? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no other commandment greater than these. Uh, do you know what Jesus is doing there? He is actually holding up the two tables of the law. He's, he's um, summing up the two tables by two sentences. And so he is actually uh, holding up uh, the law uh, and magnifying it and making it great and glorious, just like it says in Isaiah 42, verse 21. The law of the Lord is perfect because he is perfect. His law is a reflection of his own perfect holiness and perfect justice. So just like this psalm says, listen, his law is perfectly sure, perfectly right, perfectly pure, perfectly clean, perfectly righteous, perfectly precious, and perfectly sweet. And his law is perfectly sufficient for the purpose for which he intended, which is the restoration of every soul in his elect spoke it, he breathed out every word of it in, into being, and he's the maker of all things, he made you and he makes the rules of the universe we just sang about that, when he says in Isaiah the soul that sins, it shall die he rightly demands the justice that his perfect law requires you see, because he loves good and he hates wickedness this is just, this, all of this is just a glimpse of the perfections of the Lord and his law So we need to go on to what the law of the Lord, the perfect law, reveals about us. And James describes the perfect law as a mirror. So a clear mirror shows us um, a a clear view of ourselves with all of our flaws, right? And so um, one purpose or function of God's law is to act as a mirror to show us specifically and particularly what our own sin is and every every sin is a transgression of His perfect commands. Now Paul wrote in Romans, "I had not known sin but by the law." And Jesus employs the law in the same way to awaken the conscience and to bring the knowledge of this knowledge of sin. When He's confronted by the rich young ruler, if you remember, who comes up running up to Him and He kneels before Him and He says, "Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good?" No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property, the scriptures tell us. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were more ama- even more amazed and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So you see, Jesus is again holding up that perfect mirror of the law uh, to the rich young ruler, and and shows him in love that even though he thought he had done a pretty decent job of keeping the Ten Commandments, uh, he still had a covetous heart. And so, and all of this was disheartening to the disciples because they rightly knew themselves And they knew the law of the Lord because they understood that its perfection demanded a perfect obedience. The Lord had awakened their consciences by his law. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now, the question we should all be asking is what is the condition of every one of our souls that we need to be restored? The answer is that from the moment we enter this world, we're held captive by the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We are united to Adam in the flesh. We're in bondage to his corrupt nature, and we share in God's curse against his original sin. So we are born sinful branches because we're part of an evil tree, and, and it has a corrupt root. And so this is bad news enough, but what have we proven every, uh, you know, really just over and over again since our birth? By our actual sins, we have, we have proven clearly that we are true sons of Adam and Eve. Um, by our evil thoughts, words, and actions— breaking the perfect law of the Lord. Romans 3 tells us that we're morally unable to do what is right. So listen to this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So we've already considered the outcome of God's perfect justice. He must punish every sin in violation of His law. And so the just sentence that He will pass on the day of judgment on all the lawless must be an eternity in God's prison which is hell itself. Not only are we guilty and condemned, but no amount of personal reform can change the natural inclination of our hearts that are turned away from God. The sins that we commit in the past um, don't go away by performing good deeds to outweigh them. Uh, You can't bribe the Lord uh, to basically, uh, you know, with your good efforts, that he might overlook your sins. Um, so we naturally just have a vague and low view of our own sin and, and the gravity and the consequences of it. And so what we need is the perfect law of the Lord to be the mirror to show us the specific and the ugly truth about it. So we grade ourselves on the curve, and we tend to compare ourselves with others, right? And, and we comfort ourselves with a thought that, at least I'm not like that guy over there. Okay, um, So so the law of the Lord is that perfect mirror that also lets us see every sin for what it really is. And that is an infinite offense against an infinite God that will actually require infinitely perfect punishment. Okay, So now we come to the rest of verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, Note that in this psalm, this is the first thing that the law does. The word to restore here means to turn back. The A.B. translates it as convert, which is exactly what it means. How does the law of the Lord convert the soul? Aren't we saved by grace through the gospel? Why do we need to have so much consideration of um, the law? So you see, one purpose of the law of the Lord is to diagnose the terminal nature of of our condition, of our disease, that we might be ready for the cure so the law of God becomes like a hammer, and it breaks the hard heart, so that the gospel can come and bind up the broken heart. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Galatians three twenty four tells us that the law is a schoolmaster or a teacher, or tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And the Ten Commandments were never intended to be used as a ladder to to um, to climb up to heaven. And the essence of every false religion is is that we can merit, you know, uh, commend ourselves to God by by law keeping, right? Uh, So this is this is to deny the perfections of the law of the Lord. So it's it's the view which says, sure, I admit I've done some bad things, um, and I'm a sinner, but God can just forgive me. But if you're if you're that person who says this. That shows that you fail to understand that God can't simply forgive sins. Um, and he won't even hear your prayers because the prayers of the wicked are an abomination to him, the scriptures tell us. So this is again just a low view of sin and a high view of self. It's the most perverse self-righteousness. And and so if this is your belief, you make what you wind up doing is making it God to suit yourself, which is which is just idolatry. Uh, if and so, you know, the God you believe in actually doesn't exist. Um, he's a product of your own imagination. And so at the Judgment Day, when you stand before the Holy God, who is was your maker, and are judged according to his perfect law, then you will know too late that you've trusted in one of the most clever of Satan's lies, which says, you know, you're a pretty good person. God will just forgive you and let you into heaven. So how, how does the... Law of the Lord restore the soul. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will effectively apply His law, His word to the heart, and it will bring humility and strip away every excuse and all self righteousness. He uses the commandments of the law specifically in order to open our eyes to see to see ourselves in truth. And to behold God in his perfect holiness. And so, that you, um, so you also might behold the perfect, the only remedy. Uh, and that's the substitution of God the Son in your place for your sin. And you see, he took the punishment that you deserve and paid the price for all your rebellion. The sins of every one of his people were laid on him. And his perfect life and death accomplished your redemption. You see that our problem, our greatest need is, is is righteousness. You need a perfect righteousness that's not your own. That's why Jesus took on flesh, was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, and he kept God's perfect law um, and was obedient to it. He fulfilled all the Old Testament laws that, um, that say that teach us that without the shedding of blood, that there's no remission of sins, he fulfilled all the ceremonial laws that say that. You know, curse it every man who, who hangs on a tree. So in shedding his blood and, and bearing that curse, he never sinned. And he earned the reward of perfect obedience that Psalm 1911 talks about. Um, the reward that it was impossible for you to earn. His reward becomes your reward. How? It's by faith. We receive it as a free gift. And faith means that you must repent. To turn back to God turn away from your sin and self-righteousness. You see, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. To repent means to change your mind 180 degrees, and the fruit of that repentance is a change of behavior. And so, to repent just means to admit and confess how you violated His perfect law, asking Him to have mercy on you, promising Him um, that that you will change your ways and set your life apart for Him. You live to obey His commands and please Him. And, and to have faith means to put your trust in Christ, who lived and died uh, for you on, uh, on the cross in order to impute his perfect righteousness to you, that he could clothe you with it as, as a robe, so that in the day of the wrath that is to come, you'll stand before the Lord, restored, converted, justified, forgiven, reconciled, and adopted as the Son the son of God, and made fit to inherit eternal life with Christ. And now we, who were once enemies of God, in our minds through wicked works with hearts of stone, have been given new hearts of flesh. His perfect law is now our delight, and we live to glorify him as his perfect spotless bride, the church. So our souls will one day be perfectly restored, revived and converted into conformity uh, with Christ and will be like him. He always lived to do his Father's will, and we will ever live to serve him night and day in his temple we who are forever redeemed from the curse of the law's penalty will bless his name for all eternity for the gracious work of the Holy Spirit who brought his perfect law home to our hearts as a means of grace to make our dead souls to live through the power of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we bless your name for the gospel the work of your Holy Spirit, help us to grasp um, the foundational truths that that we need to be reminded of and that we can um, speak to others who don't yet know you and that you would work this in our lives for Christ's sake.